What's up, Nubians? Welcome to Tech Nubians, part of the Geekish Network. This is your weekly deep dive into video games steeped in blackness. I'm your host, Cherie. With me today, I have our man with the plan, Chuck. What's up, everyone? I'm our here producer, again. <laughs> our producer and deducer, Shanae. Hey, folks. Our marksman engineer, Leon. What's up, people? Artist extraordinaire, Ryan. What's up, what's up? And Travis. <laughs> Travis, can you not have a name because you are all things? Travis is all things. Or nothing. <laughs> or nothing. Like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll answer to both. They're, they're just not words. Yeah. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, Tech Nubians is your weekly go-to video game live stream and podcast hosted by Black technology and industry professionals to where we discuss the what, where, when, and how you can get into this world of technology, particularly into video games. We are here to inspire, sustain, and nurture successful creative technologists in the pursuit of Black excellence and commitment to technology and content development. So, as we usually do, let's kick some things off. Let's kick these things off with some tech and gaming news. Um, we're going to start here. Shanae, I think you've got a story for us. Why don't you kick this off for us? I do have a story, and I just want to start this off by saying that we apparently, even though I thought this was the darkest timeline, this is the timeline that has like the most awesome theme park showing up right now. So I don't know if that's a proper trade-off for like, hey, systemic racism, but you get to have a Pokemon theme park. So there's a new Pokemon theme park that has, that has been announced in Japan and it is supposed to specifically celebrate nature. It is called Pokemon Wonder. It is 48,000 square feet, which I don't even, I live in Northern California. I don't know what 48,000 square feet looks like. Probably like my house 48,000 times though. Roughly. But um, it is filled with Pokemon. And I know that Travis is as excited about this as I am because I know how much he loves Nintendo and tiny little pocket monsters. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be located in a place called Inagi City. Um, which I don't know where Inagi City is, but it says it's less than 30 minutes from Shinjuku. So that means yeah. you can do some karaoke and then head over and see some Pokemon, whichever order that mm -hmm. you want to do it's it in. in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. it, there you, you go. Hopefully you can like swing by and check out like Super Mario Land too. Like you could just have a Nintendo filled life right have now. Have you ever like <laughs> honestly like imagined what your own private hell would look like? <laughs> <laughs> What does your private hell look like, Travis? Would be filled with nature and Pokemon. That's a hell, man. Have you been to the forest in Japan? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Suicide forest. That's what it would look like. <laughs> Listen, so but those Pokemon are really cute, Travis, and they're biodegradable. And here's the thing, Travis. Okay, so for anyone who hasn't been to Japan. Like I, I love going to Japan. It is one of my favorite countries to go to for nothing mm -hmm. more than it's so different from the way that America's laid out. Yep. You can, you can, you can, there's one station you get off at, which I can't remember the name of right now. What's the name of that station you get off to go? You go, you turn left, you're in Harajuku, which is like the fashion uh, district. Shibuya? Yeah, well, it's like fashion district of yeah, like Harajuku. The, mm -hmm. Yeah, Harajuku and Shibuya right next to each other. And, and then you turn right, and then suddenly you're in the middle of a forest. And it is like you, like you're yeah. in the middle of Tokyo, and this is ancient forest that's been around who knows how long right and mm -hmm. it's just like you can't see any of the tokyo the things that we know as tokyo like the big bright lights and the, the fact it's mm -hmm. it feels like you're transported to a different place plus pokemon <laughs> <laughs> no I, yeah I and then you can go see a gundam you can hop back yes. on the train go another 40 minutes you're next to a gundam yeah. and I, the I statue of liberty travis what? i think you're a hater yeah, I, I do have to say that's one of the things I love about Japan is that juxtaposition of like the old kind of traditional style and, and like like this mm -hmm. new modern pop culture or whatever. Like you go to like a you know this this shrine or temple or whatever, and there's like a vending machine that gives you like your fortune. <laughs> you know, it's like it's I love stuff like that, and mm -hmm. Japan does it better than anyone. Mm -hmm. And I love th like this Pokemon forest really kind of seems like it merges those. I, I, I want to look. The only thing I've seen from Pokemon that got me amped was that YouTube video of that dude who was like in like slippers or something, like rocking out to Pokemon. Like, you know, it was he he just did this Pokemon cover and it 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 literally Oh like, yeah, the, the guy oh, did the song, the guy that's singing. Yeah, okay, and he's yeah. just like he's doing like, doing, like this yeah. the whole time yeah. while he's singing. Yeah, I, I posted that. I was like, I, I want to play that game. Can I play that one? I mean, 
what what is a more enduring story of children than Pokemon? You take an underage child, you turn them loose in the forest with with wild animals, and you give them a baby rabbit to protect himself. I mean, I think that's a <laughs> that's a great message. Pikachu for, is an electric rat. He's I will a rat. Let you know, he, by the way, guys. He's, he's also in Japan, which is probably like one of the safest places on the planet, with no zero to go planet. around with a radioactive rat. There's nothing, nothing <laughs> over there. Okay. That's what I like, want to be surrounded with. I mean, honestly, like, you know, the, the like I said, uh, if you have not been to like various forests in Japan, various shrines in Japan, it is, it is somewhat of a magical experience because you mm -hmm. are in one of the most technologically advanced countries on the planet. And then suddenly you go back and you see like, you get to see the history. You get to see mm -hmm. like the, the the before times and, and preserved and still beautiful, still integrated with society and technology. By the way, so totally different mm -hmm. from America. We like to preserve things and pretend like that F train up in San Francisco is ridiculous. It needs air conditioning. <laughs> but it, it's what I find this to be really interesting about this story is like as you're walking through this forest, like you can see, like you can imagine how the idea for Pokemon came up. You can imagine like, oh, what if there was an Oddish over there, or what if there's like a, you know, maybe there'd be Butterfree over here, and they just made a for they just did that they put that in the forest so you don't have to imagine it. you're just walking around and then you suddenly see a hidden pokemon and that i don't know i think that that just makes me smile did you see the because it's so different than the, well it's so different than the super mario land right where you're transported into the mushroom kingdom and there's you know all this like there's you know all the, the bright colors and all the sounds and that kind of stuff which is also awesome in its own right but this is meant to celebrate the the forest and nature mm -hmm. and you're just walking through nature and every once in a while, oh, there's a, you know, so, fill in the blank Pokemon, right? Yep. <laughs> so. as, as an FYI, travelers, please do not confuse this with the suicide forest. That is a much different place. So the suicide forest is different than the Pokemon forest. Make sure you get those straight. <laughs> I, I think you'll be in the mountains if you find All the right. suicide forest. And I think we're going to jump on to the next story here. So I just want to do a little bit of a callback here. Um, we, uh, probably, I don't know, it was probably a few episodes ago. We talked a little bit about, we talked about privacy a few times on here. Mm -hmm. And we talked before about like how different companies like serve up ads to you maybe based on like your proximity to other people because there was a story of like a guy who like went and visited his mom and then he started getting toothpaste ads of the brand of toothpaste that his mom used and he was trying to figure out how this happened and he had this long really interesting twitter thread about it and um in the thread though he kind of concluded he's like yeah a lot of people say like you know that your phones listen to you and stuff like that, but it really isn't. It's just like this very complicated, like these algorithms that are just working over time to like basically match your data with other people's data, your location data, match all this stuff up to be able to figure out how to serve you ads. And I mentioned this because there was a story that was out today or out uh, this week uh, on CNET that said a judge gives a go ahead to, to Google Assistant privacy lawsuit, which essentially says, yeah, your phone actually was listening to you <laughs> all this time. So essentially, we all, anyone who has like a, an assistant like Alexa or Google or I don't know, Siri, if anyone still uses Siri. Um, Accidentally. <laughs> yeah. Ac well, that's the, that's the other thing, right? Like we've all had that experience where you're talking to somebody and then so your Google assistant or whatever starts talking in the background and you're like, shut up. I'm not talking to you. Right. <laughs> you know? Every week. Yeah, it happens so often. I've had my my Alexa was triggered by my TV so often. I just unplugged Alexa. You need to stop so, watching whatever you're watching. Triggering <laughs> your Alexa, <laughs> you will get canceled in this culture. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> um, and so the reason this lawsuit's come about is because Google, like, they'll take like you know, there's that wake word and those accidental times where, where your assistant or where your assistant wakes up. Well, Google still uses the recordings that happen as a result of those um, inadvertent, like, I guess, you know, waking up of your assistant and uses those to serve you ads. And so there's some plaintiffs, some plaintiffs, uh, uh, plaintiff, excuse me, who are suing Google because they're like, yo, you shouldn't be using the content of these private conversations when you, I was not trying to alert your, you know, to wake up the assistant. And Google actually has it in their privacy policy. They're like, yeah, we're going to use like, you know, any kind of content that we hear and record to a, uh, you know, for huh. advertising purposes. And uh, Google asked for the lawsuit to be thrown out. The judge has just said, nope, you can move forward with this lawsuit. 
Um, but I thought that was interesting because I was like, yeah, for everyone who thought, oh, it's a conspiracy theory, your phone can't really hear you, all this other stuff. No, I mean, actually, these companies, this technology has been there, obviously, mm-hmm. right? It's just a matter of whether companies are using it. Mm-hmm. Leon, I think you had something you wanted to say. Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple thoughts in here. First is is that um, a lot of times, and I know Apple phones work this way. It's a little different from Google. Apple phones have a buffer that's always listening. So it's not that the applications were listening to you. They were just saying, hey, iPhone, what's in that buffer? And they were sending it back to their services. But so the most important thing anyone can do when you install an app on your phone and it asks, can I use the camera, the microphone, whatever, say no, just just no, just always say no. And then if you try to use that app for an intentional purpose, then enable that, right? So if you're if you're trying if you're on Facebook Messenger and you actually are trying to have a conversation, enable it, and then when that conversation is over, turn it back off, right? So so be intentional about the capabilities of these applications. That won't help you in the case of Google and the operating system, but it will at least like Google. Google is at least a big enough company that they can get sued, right? Whereas some little tiny app company that's stealing all your data might be sitting in China, you may not be able to sue them anyway. Right. So so just be very intentional about what you put on your phone and recognizing that your phone is a treasure trove of, of data. And the other thing, I mean, with Google, just just keep in mind, Google gives Android away for free. Why? Why did they do that? I wonder. It's like they're, mm. they're getting something out of that. Hmm. I, I, mm, just, it's true. I'm glad you mentioned it because I was about to switch over to the Google phone. <laughs> 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 I mean, oh, big consolation, everyone has a potential of doing it, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think it's, I, I, I think this, this is interesting because I remember the promise of the future, like, when you know, if when we were in like the the old days, right, like the, the 80s, pre-internet days, for example, right, where your you know where where your your computer would know this about you, and your computer would know that about you, and it would do this and it would do that. That's what's happening, people. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. the problem is is that people sort of resent the fact that you know, in addition to that, it's being monetized in a in, mm-hmm. in, in a way, right. And that's sort of the trade-off you get, right? Um, is, you know, if your technology knows you, the people behind that technology know, uh, knows you. And, 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 I, and I think that what it's surfacing, uh, at least to me, is a need, and, I, and, and I've heard this term used before, just ethics, right? Like, mm-hmm. what kind of ethical behavior do we uh, attach to technology to let people feel like they're a little safer, right? Yeah. Because I, I'm like, if I'm holding, if I'm holding a device like my phone, for example, mm-hmm. if I had the same assurances, like that the F, like the, the Food and Drug Administration has on a product that I pick up and I eat, you know, like this phone won't do this, and it won't do that. And it won't do this. Okay, great, then I can talk about whatever I want to talk about. I think there needs to be that sort of sanctifying sort of technology shield around people sometimes that they know that yes information is being collected but it is being used thusly and i and and i think that maybe you know that that that, that's a need for 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 uh you know something on a government level yeah when we talked about when we talked about the future we never talked about people monetizing our privacy I think that's the issue. If if Isaac Osmos would have made that book back in '82, we would be definitely been skeptical all the way to today. Mm-hmm. You know, we we didn't mind them a computer knowing our privacy because it was still ours. The computer is not human; it's not going to spread that rumor. But now it's spreading the rumor and then selling me products based on the rumor it's spreading. That's yep. the problem. And I think the other part of it, is, and this goes back to what I think the callback to like the previous episode when we talked about this. What, what also gets under people's skin is when that technology, when that like, information is being used by that technology in inelegant ways, like the result mm-hmm. is inelegant. Like you mm-hmm. notice it, you start, it doesn't feel magical. It feels like a computer. Mm-hmm. Like when the, when the gentleman went and like visited his mom and suddenly it's like, it's advertising her toothpaste. He's like, wait a second, why is it doing this? And he could like, you could see behind the veil. And then it yeah. sort of just felt a little gross at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I think, I think honestly, 
like I think there is probably a nexus point where as technology continues to improve and we do get to start to do a better job of the smoke and mirrors, I think people start to start to ignore that. But whenever you get, whenever it subsides, it's a big strong wind, it blows the smoke away. You start to see behind <laughs> it, you're gonna get these flare ups where people are just like, wait a second, that ain't right. As <laughs> much as I, I hate when this happens, I'm gonna have to agree with Travis here. And in that we do- <laughs> I thought so. The thing you hated that happens was going to be the, the, the security stuff. Yeah, like, no, no it's great. That, that's Go on. Not as bad. I also as hate when that Travis. happens. Oh, but, but but we do need some kind of privacy bill of rights. Yeah. Uh, we're starting to see elements of that happening in Europe with GDPR and, and mm -hmm. kind of fence posting data in mm -hmm. certain nations. So we're starting to see this occur already. Um, the bar is too low for companies to use and monetize this information. Mm -hmm. They're going to use it unless they are told not to. Yep. And, mm -hmm. and the problem is, is that government and regulation is too slow and unsophisticated to keep up, right? They would start, right? If they were to start That's today, government. they would start regulating MySpace, right? Oh yeah, we're gonna get yeah. MySpace under control. <laughs> and I'm like, Finally. <laughs> it, it's so true. And, yeah. and the other thing I just mentioned, just to kind of piggyback off what, what y'all were saying is, you know, I think the other thing that rubs people the wrong way is when tech companies kind of, like they use double talk around it. Like we mm -hmm. know that this is happening, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? But they'll say things like, we don't record user conversations, but it's like, yeah, maybe you don't record it, but the data is available and you use the data that's already there, right? Yeah, your phone like, doesn't listen to you. Yeah, or, or like, we don't retain all or, your or, recordings. Or, and it's okay. like, saying we don't retain it doesn't mean that it's not recorded. Like, they do like little double talk. Mm -hmm. And I think that just puts it in bad faith. So when people find out like truth, like find out the truth or really like actually come to accept the truth there, it just rubs you the wrong way. Because like you said, Travis, I mean, this technology, this is, this is what we always wanted, right? This is what we hoped for. But we just didn't like, you know, we didn't expect it to kind of come about in this like, you know, seemingly nefarious way. It doesn't have to be nefarious, honestly. And, it doesn't and have believe to it or not, like people are willing to trade their privacy, oh, yeah. and some of their security for convenience. For, for convenience. And yeah. so when when things like this happen, like for like the Google thing specifically, I think is really interesting because it's not a case of somebody like intentionally activated the Google Assistant and it listened to them. It's like, oops, I didn't mean to. And it still listened to it and still did the same thing. That's what feels like. Yeah. Like yeah, it feels like, oh, I accidentally put somebody on someone on the CC line for an email and you took that information and used it. Like exactly. it, it feels, so I'm wondering, I, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, does uh does WhatsApp have my nudie pics? <laughs> Yeah. They do have your nudie pics. <laughs> they do. Um, they do. And they just they just it's in a cloud somewhere. It's in their cloud. Welcome to the future. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan, I have your nudie pics. I think so. I think so. Tighten up. Yeah. I think one way to illustrate this, right? You, you think back to Star Trek next generation and you've got picard he's like t earl gray hot and the little the t appears mm -hmm. but imagine if he said t earl gray hot and the computer would be like would you like to buy a new cup right <laughs> no that's that's, yeah. like, that's where we are and the thing about it is is the only thing that scares me about this is you becoming like more and more a slave to your own algorithm right mm -hmm. to, to to the point where um th there's no randomness anymore to your mm -hmm. to your existence right you get so dialed in and so locked in that it just feeds you into being that person instead of giving you the ability to see other things you know so and, you're saying one time you're just going to walk up to the 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 uh the, the replicator and you're not going to say t or gray hot you're gonna be like tea um with spiders just because you want to feel, you want to feel alive basically yeah. why do you want that to be advertised to you spider tea yeah just just to see what happened and, 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 it, and it explodes and you're like oh okay i don't have a good segue from spider tea but let's move on to the next story here leon you've got something for us yeah so so uh i don't know i'm a little disturbed by the spider tea but uh <laughs> So it turns out that they're releasing um, a director's cut of, of the excellent game Ghost of Tsushima, which which is great, right? Like it's it's as a gamer, 
more of a great game is always a good thing, but it's really making me think about content. Like we're seeing a lot of games right now, like we're seeing a lot of last generation games that are getting texture updates. And it's like, it's the PS5, Xbox One S version, right? You know, mm -hmm. where they rev, they rev up the detail a little bit. And, and part of this is because content is so expensive, right? When it's taken two, three years to build these games and, and the pipelines are dry because the other games are having delays because they're struggling to get things out. They're like, hey, how can we remix and put things out there? Now this isn't new, right? We used to see like Xbox Platinum hits and things like that, where there was this other chance, right? Because only so many people play your game, so many people miss it. This is a chance to inject new marketing. But it seems like that delta is getting shorter and shorter. I'm like, director's cut, like, dang, that game just, like, it just came out, you know, I think it was Q3, Q4 of last year, and now we're getting director's cut. So I, I get that we're on a console boundary at this point, but it just, it really seems like there's there's a lot of effort going on to, to remix, you know, see new marketing. And part of this is Game Pass and other things that are just saying, hey, there's, there's new ways to inject this. Now, mm -hmm. as a gamer that missed some of that, like, you know, like I didn't play the last Star Wars game, but then when it went on Game Pass, I was like, oh, cool, I can play it now, right? So so there was kind of a second chance for me. So I think it makes sense from a gamer perspective, but it's just interesting seeing this content trend. Yeah. I don't think it's a trend at all. Well, <laughs> I think it's the yes. same as it ever was. I mean, you know, like how many, like... It, you know, when, when, when people talk about revisions all the time, I think about how many times I bought Star Wars and I get mad at everybody, including myself. <laughs> I think I have bought Star Wars at least 20 times. But, but you don't think the Delta is shorter? Um, since when, though? Um, you know, um, and, and, and I think that maybe that corresponds with, you know, digital delivery almost being if, if not the same mm -hmm. uh, but you know day and date so I think I, I think it's been possibly the same since then mm -hmm. um, and you know when when you can actually you know update something and push it to push it to everyone all the rules change and um, and, and I'm here for it and and I think ghost of Tsushima is a you know, I'm a little sensitive to that to that title because it it, it literally was like it hurt you. one of the best games on PlayStation 4. But it also came at an interesting time, right? Between mm -hmm. the PS4 and PS5. Mm -hmm. And so you know that they took a look at that PS5 and they said, do we delay? Right. Or do we ship now? <laughs> right? And they yeah. said, oh, we'll catch it later, right? And, yeah. and so that's exactly, you know, that's exactly what happened. So they released it, you know, and, I, and hey, I have never platinumed them a game before, but this was the first game that made me go, I think I just might. Yeah. Okay. This, this, this director's cut, this is coming on PS5? Or, yeah. or is it going to oh, be? It's okay. on both. Yeah, both. okay. I and mean, this, this is also another, difference. yeah, it also makes it another reason for them to advertise, hey, go, go get a PS5, <laughs> you know? If you like, can. If you yeah. can. <laughs> That's true too, right? <laughs> also, it, it, it brings back like Persona, like Persona Five, like Persona Five came out and they gave you 150 hours of gameplay in that game. Mm -hmm. They turn around like a year later and drop Persona Five Royal, then say, "Hey, we're gonna give you an extra 20, 30 hours on top of that." Yeah, and and yeah. change the whole entire fight system. So you have to go back and do the same exact game, slightly different, with a whole new fight system now because we decided we want to add it in there. Mm -hmm. And guess I mean, what? I was one of the people I, that bought it twice. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't complain about this. I'm like, I mean, I've bought The Legend of Zelda basically on every platform it all it ever comes out on. Like mm -hmm. Nintendo just announced like <laughs> what a new Game and Watch thing with Zelda, and I'm like, do I need this? Do I'm I about to buy this? Skyward Sword again. Or I'm I'll gonna buy it, and I'm gonna it. sit it under my TV, and it's gonna be a little clock with like Link running around and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it's sort of hard to. I mean, yeah. I've seen a lot of the, like the response online and people were just like, uh, you know, why didn't they give us for free, which gets into the whole argument about like, hey, it's people had to people had to work on it. So, yeah. Like, free. <laughs> but then there was also the like, you know, hey, why is this so soon and all kind of stuff. And I'm just like, well, you know what? Um, I used to buy every single game at launch and then felt this obligation to play every single game as soon as I could. But I've been playing Ghost Tsushima. I haven't finished. I'll probably never finish it. If I do ever get close to finishing it, I'm like, you know what, that, that content's going to be there 
next year too. <laughs> I don't understand this. I don't understand it. I don't, I don't understand this whole content thing, right? It's like mm-hmm. you getting mad at they gave Burger it to King me before because I now they're it. putting bacon on a whopper, you know. Didn't you have your whopper? Was it good? Okay. Yes, yeah. Now the with there's one with bacon. Come try that one. You know, I should get that one for free. Why? Because you bought it last time. Get out of here. Sorry about that. There, there, there's some interesting psychology to that, right? So <laughs> on, on, on Xbox, at one point, people were putting the DLC because they had the they had the art, art, set, art assets. They shipped it on the main SKU. And then when you bought the DLC, it was an unlock. And, you know, the unlock was like a half second download. And the, and the, and the users figured out real quick, like, well, wait a minute. You, you, just, you just unlocked some junk, right? Like that stuff was, I already paid for those assets. Now, now yes, just because the asset is on the disc doesn't mean the gameplay was there, the testing and all the other things that people had to do afterwards. But there was a perception of value that that, mm-hmm. that the users felt violated by. They said, no, that's not that's not going to work. I already paid for that. So there there is a needle to be threaded about how you push this content out and the perception mm-hmm. of what I have paid for versus yeah. what you want me to pay for again. That's, it's, it's really not that simple. It- it, yeah, and I, you know, I think that like we could probably do like a whole episode around the whole DLC conversation because uh, <laughs> it it is very. I mean, there are definitely some really strong emotions on both sides with it. Um, yeah, I, I'm just gonna like put it like I'm gonna put a pin in that because <laughs> then we can come back to that because I think that would be a really interesting. I really want to talk about on this DLC. I have very I, strong. Yeah, we, we, that's why I was just like, well, let's, let's put a pin on that because I know we got to come back to that. Let's get to our last story we have here. Ryan, uh, you have a story for us. Yeah, so 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 uh, I got itchy hands, so this that means something's gonna happen. Yo, so who who likes who likes free money? I do, I know everyone likes free everybody money. Likes I free mean, money, right? is it free? It's free, it's free, it's free. I remember you saying uh, you, you get something for me for free when it goes on sale, like. <laughs> I get you. I got you. You already got some free picks, so I get you. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that later. So, so anyway, uh, Google announces fifty million dollars in grants for HBCUs. Nice. What is HBCU? Like, Explain to the people that are not understanding HBCUs. Historically, black colleges and universities. That's okay. what it is. So uh-huh. basically, okay. Google announced it'll be giving uh, 10, 10 Historically, by colleges and universities, a total of fifty million dollars in grant funds, with a total of a with, with a goal of addressing the, the the diversity gap in tech. I'm I'm only I'm like I'm like I was like kind of hoping and wishing like you know they could throw some of that money towards us you know <laughs> like, professionals on, already there. <laughs> the gap in, in in diversity you know so in tech so so it, it, i mean this is what this is what we uh talk about but what i was also wondering um you know i was also thinking is this like some form of reparations or something <laughs> no is because there's what it is, is this, criteria Google, like take, taking the initiative to like Hey, hey, yo, let me let me give them some money. Google's taking the tax write off. <laughs> that part. Well, look, it's a it's so, it's a lot of things, right? Like, just because we're black doesn't mean that we don't use technology, uh, or, or or that we're less worthy, or you know, or, or whatever. And the thing about it is, is that you know, uh, a lot of times when you look at these new and emerging markets, you know, and, and it doesn't matter. It seems like to me historically what it is. Um, you start with you start with black people first. It seems that way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so even if Google's getting to us last, you know what I'm saying? They they recognize at least that there's money to be made, right? And 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 so look, if you're if you're if you're actually investing that time, uh, and you're investing, you know, in that demographic, it's bound to be uh, you know, pay dividends if you stick with it. I mean, you ask Apple, you know, how they feel about students now right i mean apple went after students in a big way like long time ago mm-hmm. now like it's it's almost just a thing right you, you, your student where's your where's your map 
So, so the, the, the grants are, the, the, the article also mentioned that the grants, uh, the $50 million in grants, they're the largest gifts of unrestricted funds ever awarded to, to these colleges. Um, and, it, and, when I, and you know, unrestricted funds, in, in other words, they can use the money as they see fit. So, yeah. you know, they're going to be using them, you know, each college is going to be using them differently for specific uses or whatever like that, you know. Uh, hey, you know, I run Comic Pro Boot Camp. I'm black. <laughs> You're like, I'm holla. Once again, holla. I am a historically you know? black institution. <laughs> You're black. historic, right? And black. It's historic and black. <laughs> and you should be institutionalized. Exactly. I, I think we can't, you know, we can't overstate the, the value of this to these schools. And for one, you know, yeah. uh, Tuskegee uh, and Xavier University, for example, were, were listed. And, and I know a lot of, of very senior and very talented developers and engineers and program managers at Microsoft came from those schools. So, so providing those resources there is great, but I also want to caution writing the check, again, a check of this magnitude is, is huge, but I hate to be that guy, but we also have to say what else, right? It's That's also right. that, they, that mm -hmm. they prove, okay, are you hiring? Are you going to make sure that you're doing the appropriate recruiting uh, at these things? Are you going to Afrotech? Are you going to National Society of Black Engineers? Are you doing things to get these people in your company? When they're at your company, are you developing them as managers and senior leaders and putting people in the vice presidents and seats on the boards, right? It's it's easy, like the check is the easy deal, right? But when you when you're when you're picking who's gonna get that promotion, mm, mm. that gets that gets a lot harder. So mm -hmm. so I, I think it is this is an important step. These schools need the money. I totally support it, but mm. but if they really are about this. Right. If they really want to improve diversity, then we'll see it in their hiring. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah the solution's definitely systemic, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because the problems are systemic, and uh, once you start looking at things that way, yeah, you're right, Leon. Like, like you're a million percent correct. I mean, you know, it's like maybe the maybe the check stops the bleeding to some degree, right? But you have to start, you know. But then it's the whole circulatory system. That, you know that you have to keep in motion right and, and and we see it we see it all the time i mean you know yeah you're happy when you know someone has a come up but that's not the end of it you know you got to be you got to be there to reach down you got to be there to reach to your left or to your right and help all those people inside that organization so it you know it so it makes that circulatory system we're talking about but yeah absolutely yeah. One of the things we often talk about uh, in this industry is you know the what is it? The number of black and brown folks in this industry, actually number of black folks in this industry, I think it's less than 2%. Mm -hmm. It's been smaller. less than 2% for many, many, many years. Yep. Uh, even as they've had like uh, an increase in the number of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion um, based programs and people paying attention to it now and, mm -hmm. and um, like trying to make actual efforts toward and like, mm -hmm. creating like, you know, heads of diversity and that sort of thing. But the numbers are staying the same. Same thing for women in the industry, by the way. The number doesn't change. It hovers around 20%. Uh, and there's been, like, out of all the, 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 the different, like, uh, uh, identity groups like that that are, that are courted within tech, um, women is probably the group that is, like, the most money is put behind. Um, but the number stays the same. And we have to ask ourselves <laughs> why that is. And it's not just like, well, math is too hard for lady brains, or maybe black people aren't really interested in technology. It's not, those are not the answers. Those are like, that's the racism coming out. Don't let the racism get you, y'all. <laughs> like, like right? that's what we've rested on and that's what we've rested on historically. Yeah, but we we keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Yeah, mm. and I'm not gonna turn my nose up at like Google dollars and stuff like that. I'm glad that they're actually putting some time and effort and money into this thing, but it cannot be the exact same thing that always happens because we're not talking about, this is not just a front of the pipeline problem. It is a leaky pipeline problem. Mm. There are black and brown folks and women who are like, and LGBTQIA and folks who are in this industry who are historically marginalized and they get in the pipeline and then everything's kind of, kind of a mess and it affects them <laughs> more than everyone else. How many times have I been like the only woman on a team and they take this woman, they drop them into like this very toxic culture and say, oh, don't mm. worry, she's going to fix it. 
is she gonna fix it? That sounds like an additional job. <laughs> and that is also deeply affecting that person's like mental health, physical health, just their time and well-being and all that kind of stuff. And they leave and they're like, oh crap, every time we hire a woman, she leaves. Like, well, that's not the woman's fault. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what's consistent in this in this equation. Like, what's the thing that hasn't changed? Oh yes. man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just because you, just because you exist isn't enough, right? I mean, it, it, it isn't. I mean. You know, I, I met Sinead when we worked together, right? And so, you know, you you walk into product development. I think things are okay. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, we just here. We learned quickly, didn't we? We learned quickly that that was not the case, right? And so, yeah, so it's 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 not enough that you actually get up the bat, right? You, you have to keep that, you know, you have to keep that party going. Yeah, it's, it's so true. Um, and I'm really hoping, like, that was one, like, uh, sis, you said that exactly, like, my sentiment with it, which is, I'm, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, like, you know, turn my nose up, but like what Google's doing, because a lot of people are not doing it. And I do appreciate them giving, uh, recognizing that we need to recruit from more than this Ivy League. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. everyone, like, all these places will be like, oh, why are our companies so white? And we only recruit from white areas and white institutions, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so I'm like- all, I, And they're all located on the West Coast in places yeah. like Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and yeah. Let me just, let me so, just like, answer. I, uh, so I just gonna mention, like, I appreciate that they're doing that. I just also wanna make sure that they're also dedicating another $50 million towards making a culture that is inclusive. So once people get there, they don't feel like, oh, you know what? Like, I can't deal with this. Like, this is just way too much. This I'm goes into another story they had well, this week of women of color vacating out of Google. So yeah, you're going to educate just, them, get them in, and push them right back out and say, we tried. Yeah. They just can't hang here's, with the here's, boys. Here's my, here's my point on all of this is, yeah. is that when you start coding, when you start designing, when you start executing, you know, uh, software, um, it is a reflection of the creators. It really is. Um, and, you know, up until now, you, you, you've gotten that reflection of, of, of those creators. And I think it's high time that there's some other creators that, you know, take the forefront, uh, but you have to empower them. You have to enable them. You have to give them the ability to actually, you know, reflect themselves, you know, electronically, because just for, for no other reason, but for other people to see that they're not alone. Right. And, and, and I think that that's, that's where the growth is. I think uh, tech wise is going to come from, it's going to come from some real unexpected places mm -hmm. real, real soon. Mm -hmm. I really think that. Yeah, I totally agree. Thank you for that, Travis. So now we're going to move on to our main round, round table discussion. And I think today we want to talk a little bit about, like this was a topic that came up last week. Uh, I think in one of the, um, I don't remember which story we were talking about. I think it was actually about Ratchet and Clank, right? That was it. Yeah, and, yeah. and about them not, not, not crunching the whole yeah, time. Yeah, them not, like what, what a concept, not killing their workers to try and just ship a game, right? <laughs> um, and all of us have been like in the industry or industry adjacent for like, you know, for mm -hmm. a long periods of mm -hmm. time, right? We all have some experience here with crunch. And so I wanted to talk about this, basically make this like, you know, I was like, let's, let's take some time to actually dive into this a little bit more deeply, right? Um, and talk about um, the, that whole culture of crunch that we find in the gaming, this gaming industry, you know? Um, because it, it is just like, you know, I came from EA. It was just kind of mm -hmm. an expected part of the culture, right? I mean, I will just mention just to kind of um, kick off this conversation. I was at EA for 12 years. Um, I was started off in the testing group. And it was, it was basically like, that was expected, right? Like, I mean, we would actually see schedules when we were about to start a project that had like us working on the weekends. And it's like, okay, if you've already got like a seven day week planned out, where do you go when things, when shit hits the fan? <laughs> you know, you have no buffer. You don't and, go home. <laughs> yeah, you don't go home. Like I you have don't to go. Yeah, I've had times where I slept at the studio. I had multiple times where it's like, oh, you know, we tr we're trying to ship the game. Um, somebody finds a terrible game break, game breaking bug at two in the morning, and they tell us, "Hey, we're gonna get a new build at four in the morning. Um, clock out or something, but like, don't leave. You know, just stay here. Yeah. You know." And we end up working like twenty four hour days. This was a very regular occurrence um, yeah. that happened with EA, and it's happened with lots of game companies. So I just want to kind of like 
set this up, maybe we can just talk about some of our experiences here with the crunch culture and how do game companies get out of it? How do we make the ratchet and clank a repeatable process? Before we get too deep in there, I just want to say one thing about our jobs, period. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people think about jobs in the way the industrialized revolution really, you know, like it's on the factory. You go to the factory, you you make the things on a conveyor belt, they come off and you assemble them and, you know, everybody gets toasters and cars and houses and so on and so forth. And we're not in that age anymore. We are in an information age um, where it's, you know, you're, you're really, you're, you're relying on people to be creative. Uh, and sometimes creativity does not come when you think it does. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're on toilet. Sometimes you're in, in the shower. Sometimes you're doing other things that are completely unrelated to what you're trying to do and it hits you, right? How do you plan for that, right? And, and, and so a lot of times it's, it's, it's very hard to do what we do because it's hard to do what we do. Um, and, and, and so I, I just want to set that as a stage for, for, for a lot of this because, you know, uh, I, I feel sometimes we're, we're trying to take this round peg and put it in a square hole sometimes and it's not exactly. I noticed that all of Travis's eureka moments happen in the bathroom. shower on the toilet (laughs) you take your sin where you get it you know that's where he goes to cry that's where he goes to cry but but travis says oh sorry go ahead go ahead um uh, ryan were you saying something no 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 no, go ahead Uh, he said it's the most peaceful place in the house (laughs) That's when he see it. It is the place where you can get a little piece of quiet, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't have kids, so every place is the most peaceful place in my house. <laughs> out there. Uh, most peaceful place in my house is that deck out back, which you guys will see one day. Oh, but, oh, um, uh-huh. mm, it's real nice. Stunning. But no, no, for real though, like what Travis said has some, uh, it, it does have merit because like mm-hmm. we're in a creative industry and uh, you know, we're, we're, we're challenged. Like I feel, feel like games is, it's it's in a lot of ways it's uniquely creative. A lot of ways it's not uniquely not unique, but it's also like uniquely creative in that it's a combination of art and science, right? It's understanding mm-hmm. technology and getting it to getting it to a place like bending it to your will so you can find this mythical thing called fun, <laughs> and then be able to like institute that, make it intuitive, make it repeatable, make it something that that people want to do, not just have fun once, but hey, we got to create a loop so that you do the exact same thing over and over and over again and it's fun for like eight to ten hours mm. right so that's and that's really hard yeah. uh, and and there is science actually behind why people do come have those eureka moments like in the bathroom or that kind of stuff it's often because your brain is thinking about other things yeah. <laughs> and, and, and your lower level functions are like hey actually why don't you just like like uh you know make them jump higher and you're like oh of course why didn't it's i think had, of that four it, months ago it's also nobody just want to be in there with <laughs> I like how we've had that's from working with the moments and so many spiders today. But I love how we've had bathroom eureka moments and tea spiders today. So let's keep going with that. Yeah, yeah. you know, because like the game industry is 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 all bathroom eureka. And when you have a really good cry in the bathroom, usually your best ideas come. <laughs> and you walk so you out, you're crying like, in the shower, guys, crying in the toilet. Guys, I I, I have it. Idea. I know how to. That's I know what, how Travis, to make the that's what Travis is. It's funny. Everyone's just like, yeah, the studio closed 15 minutes ago while you were in the bathroom crying. So <laughs> yeah, but I but, got this brilliant yeah. idea now. I got the all side, the tears the side, out. But the other side of what Travis is saying too, I think, is like this is this is why game industry is is so interesting oh, and it's also so difficult. Like we talk mm-hmm. about making games, mm-hmm. like the. One of the things I always repeat to folks, I'm like, making games is hard. It's like one of the hardest things. It feels like, oh yeah, I can do that. Those lazy developers, they might as well. The reason they couldn't get that game out on time or give me that content or do this other thing or add online was because they were lazy. Guys, let me tell you, it's hard. Yep. It's just really freaking hard to get like a, a 20 person team or a 300 person team in mental alignment in schedule alignment and have that all meet with your budget and your timelines and your external commitments and then be able to ship the thing like it's really freaking hard Mm -hmm. that said it's it is so easy for us to fall back on a lot of these sort of crutches that we have like the most common crutch that we have in the game industry that gets us punched in the face by external 
um, like external folks too, is crunch. Like it's mm-hmm. it is just a, a lot of times we, we just refer to it like, oh, it's just a, it's just a thing that happens in the industry. You just have to get okay with crunch. Um, and I think what started the conversation last week was like, actually Ratchet and Clank said you don't. <laughs> like a company yeah. called Insomniac said, hey, go home and get some sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny that company says that. It's funny that company hey, says hey, that. Hey, you, Rip Van Winkle. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Because when you're staying up making these, like trying to make this game while you're in, you're in your insomnia, you're making bugs, all right? Like go home, yeah. get some sleep. Go I think, talk I, to your family and stuff. I think there there are two key components of that though, right? Which is causing this problem and also illustrates why Insomniac's getting away with it. First is, is that way too often we're time boxed. You have to make holiday no matter what. You have to make console launch no matter what, right? So we have this unmovable goal that you have to hit. It has it has to be there, right? And, and breaking that goal is very brave, right? Like Microsoft very bravely punted on Halo because they were like, we can't get this wrong. Right, oh, so make a whole lot of people angry by saying that. Saying this right, right. We'll, lose, we'll lose more money by torpedoing the franchise than we will by by moving it. But but most times you can't do that. The other thing is that most games are undercapitalized, right? Mm-hmm. It because of all the things that we're saying about it's difficult to find fun. It is it, it's like filming a movie where I have to invent the camera as part of the movie making process, right? And then mm-hmm. film the movie with the camera that I just invented. And we don't pay people enough for it, and we don't have enough time to extend the date. So we just say, yeah, we're just gonna just burn you guys to the ground so that we can meet the unmovable date. And then I would say then the corollary to all of this is what's called the mythical man month, right? Which is yes. often illustrated by nine women can't make a baby in a month. I don't care how many women you add to the development team, yeah. it will take nine months for that baby to come out. Yep. And mm-hmm. what, what that means practically for those that don't understand is when you put too many engineers on a problem, they start getting in each other's way, right? Like you get some speed increases over time, but you reach a point where adding more engineers actually yeah. costs more. So yep. you just need time. You need time to get it right going back to my original point about we're time boxed, right? And that's what creates mm-hmm. this, this disaster. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I, I love whenever anyone who's not me quotes the Mythical Man Month, <laughs> written in 1978, by the way. I actually saw like an original copy of it at the local um, computer history museum like several years back and I took a picture and I was very happy. Um, not only is like nine women can't make a baby in a month, the fastest way to make a late project later is to add more people to it. Add more people, yep, yeah. absolutely. And- and, and it's so often, I mean, it really is just like a function of just, um, you know, just bad planning. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Yes. Right. I mean, so, I mean, like, for example, like what you're talking about, Leon, you're like, this has to ship by holiday. Right. Like when I worked for EA, we had, you know, a lot of sports properties. So it's like we needed to, we needed Madden to ship like, you know, these specific times to like time it with like different mm-hmm. seasons for, like, mm-hmm. for, for sport. Yeah. Like when we did NASCAR, like all these licenses are attached to it. You know, so there's yeah. all external pressure that's coming, you know, there. And I mean, when I was working in QA, I didn't necessarily have visibility into all of that that's going on. I'm just being told that I have a schedule that has me coming in at 8 a.m. and has me leaving a question mark. Let, let's <laughs> yeah. let's be let's let's be honest. It's just, it's beyond bad planning. It's just bad leadership. Exactly. It, it, well, it is it is the the publisher who goes home at at seven o'clock because that's a late night for that person. The publisher producer. That's late for me. I stayed at seven p.m. because Travis promised I'll go have a bill by five, and it came in at six thirty. Ain't gonna look at the shit until next Monday anyway. But it don't matter. He told me Friday at five I would have it. And I was gonna give it an hour, make some fake notes to say I got your bill. And that's what I initially saw. Look over. at all this publishing producer hate. That's yeah. First of all. Oh. Very okay, scary. listen. Yeah, and that person goes home. <laughs> okay, then the internal producer. The internal I, leave producer. At, I leave at five, I'll have you know. Yeah. And that's leaving <laughs> by example. First of all, Chuck. <laughs> the internal okay, producer um, agrees look, with that person. All, We're still going to get it done. This We're way. still going to get it done. Just say, no, nah, it's, it's not going to get done. <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah. Y'all know I'm right. Don't 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 say I'm wrong. Y'all know I'm right. Well, I mean, but like, th- here's the thing, right? Like this, like 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 everything that everyone's saying here is absolutely true, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also it's also why this is also why making games is really hard because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, we do have the time box and we do have those schedules and we do have these game has to be out by holiday. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because if the game is not out by holiday, you ain't gonna make back any of that money. And guess what? 
sequels nah <laughs> you'll be lucky if you'll be lucky if 50 percent of you have a job in six months right so like that's why it's like our industry is so hit driven still mm -hmm. i think it's starting to switch off of that a little bit because it's yeah. unsustainable right now yeah. but we're still very much a hit driven industry we're like games have gotten like there's around like 2012 or something like that there was like sort of a segmentation like a major sort of rift that opened up within the game industry where you had these these double a and triple a games that were in like the 30 to 60 million dollar range mm -hmm. and that almost became like like yucky and you suddenly started seeing games get much much smaller so our indie our indie space got got like started becoming a real thing and that's where i think the creativity of the industry of the industry really lies and then you started seeing games get much 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 bigger to a point where i don't even refer to like the, your your destinies and your halos and your your overwatch those aren't triple a games those are quad a games your budget is a hundred million dollars plus like that's the that's the floor for like your budget and we're talking about five, 600, 800, a thousand plus people working on your game. Like those are planet size games kind of thing, right? Yeah. And so like understanding like what it takes to make, to recoup on, on an investment like that, because we were putting a hundred million dollars into a game and you've got a thousand people working on it and you miss your, you miss your launch window. Like that's, it's, it's massive. And it just shows a business model that needs to change because the alternative to like to making sure you hit that launch window is burning people like alive essentially i, I, I did a talk that, i'll say one last little thing real quick i know i've been talking for a bit i did a talk last like i mentioned last um uh last september for the game devs of color that was talking about how uh we're just we're, we're killing we're game dev heroics right like how we're just mm -hmm. killing ourselves on this industry and one of the really interesting bits that i got when i was when i was um researching this whole thing was pulled from the, the game developer, uh, a game developer conference does like a, a state of the industry survey every year, right? And they just mm -hmm. ask a bunch of anonymous questions and literally thousands of people respond back to it. And the interesting thing that came out of it was, uh, like so the average game developer has three to six years of experience, three to six years. Industry is like over 30 years old, you have three to six years experience. Average game developer with three to six years of experience will leave the industry in less than 10 years. They won't like they might stay in tech they might go somewhere where they have better work-life balance they might go do something completely different but they will leave and they will take all that experience with them mm. so we're constantly in this state of relearning everything that we learned already because every like we are pushing people out of the industry like the, they had a great quote and it said they Development is industry driven by young workers who tended to part within a decade. Mm -hmm. Like that's none of us. We're the weird exceptions. Yeah. No, I right did. Leave. I did leave after you know twelve years. So I was I was burned out. I was tired. Yeah. 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 I was working live operations, and yeah. I mean at least for live operations, because that's the other thing, right? Like games don't end now. Like there used to be like like an end to games. Now it's like oh now you switch to the live operations. Yeah, model. projects do not end. Yeah. I was on the live operations team. I was getting, you know, calls at like three in the three in the morning because it's like, oh, you know, something's going on with like the exchange and like, you know, this person's spamming naked sims on the on the, the sims exchange. You know, we need somebody. Ryan, why were you doing that? Yeah, Ryan, why are you putting naked sims on the sims He's exchange? He's doing it from WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah. I, need, I need reference. You know, I mean. <laughs> Like, you do have to account for so many things now. I mean, it's not just it's not just that we're having to like create new content, but then you've got like all the on all, everything that comes with online. You know, not just making sure that there's an actual like stable <laughs> like online experience, but then you have people who will purposely try and grieve other players mm -hmm. or just disrupt their experience because they, you know, I mean, because trolls exist, right? So there's it's, hey. it's very complicated. I, I, you know, you know yeah. so, yeah. let me let me try <laughs> Good Ray of sunshine. Hey, hey, don't talk about griefers. No, they have a place in my no. heart. No, <laughs> all I'm saying, all I'm saying is, is that I, I think that either fortunately or unfortunately, we are in a beta society now, right? Uh, we're we're in a we're in an age where I think almost every man, woman, child, and maybe part beast uh, recognizes that software comes to you iteratively right mm -hmm. um and is subject to change and updates on a constant basis mm. okay True. um and i think that when we start talking about uh you know crunches when we start talking about uh how we burn people out a lot of times it's by setting unrealistic expectations about 
what a software has to accomplish within a set amount of time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, when people start getting used to the iterative uh, nature of software, maybe there can be some sort of cessation between people's expectations um, and, what is in, in, and what is delivered in such where people will say, well, it is here now, okay? And it has X amount of functionality, but, you know, two revs from now, you know, come, come check with us. See what, see what it's like, right? And I think that that's, that's a luxury that software developers have not really enjoyed mm -hmm. ever. And I think mm -hmm. it is that, that that feeling is not only pervasive, but I think in some ways expected nowadays. I, I, I agree with all of that. Um, I, I think it's interesting, like how we moved into the, the sort of iterative space of, of software. Cause I, I mean, like probably all of us on this call remember, like we were in the industry back before there was a such thing as a patch, um, at least in the console. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was kind of glorious. It was like, you made your game, you tested it, you tossed it over the fence. You're like, good luck everyone. Hope it's good. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not, uh, we'll see you in the next one. We'll game. see you on the next one. Yes, yeah. we'll see you on the next yeah. one. Yeah. Um, now it's like, I mean, like legitimately, folks, like we like we'll make a game, and as soon as we like send it to Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft, or you know whoever we're whatever platform, like as soon as they're doing their revisions on it and they're like looking at it, we're already working on the day zero patch. <laughs> Like already, already. already know there Before is stuff that needs to be fixed. It, we're doing the day zero patch. Mm -hmm. Like this and, build and works it, good enough. We know this stuff know. needs to get fixed. And it used to be that those would just be bugs, right? Mm -hmm. but, but now like those are full features, right? Mm -hmm. So we're like, it's back. We're talking about scope. We're talking about scheduling. We're talking about what a certain set of humans can achieve within a set period of time. And we're not good at that. Like, uh, at, all. at all. I, I, I think <laughs> one, the, most, the, most five most dangerous words in game development. Wouldn't it be cool if? <laughs> Here's something to ponder, right? Think about the original Halo, right? On the original Xbox and how much that was played multiplayer in dorms and, and offices and things mm. like that. That game was never patched. Mm. Yeah. Crazy, man. That was pre-Xbox Live. That game wow. never received a single patch. And there were bugs and there were things that didn't work and- We just lived with it. Somehow, everybody was okay. Like yeah. nobody died. It was weird. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah, I would love to talk more about like some of the some of the sort of cultural problems and stuff that we, we tackle in the industry that that do lead to the because it, it's a it's a big it's a really big problem right like we, yeah. we talked about like a lot of the external forces we talked about not being able to scope stuff but there's also internal forces within yeah. our industry that push people out and that's that goes to things like you know pay and stability and culture and overtime and just the fit and the people and personalities and how we treat folks. Uh, yeah. Like there's a very disposable nature to a lot of to a lot of um, disciplines within our industry, uh, specifically like a lot of art disciplines are seen as like, yeah, we're just gonna hire you for like a project, you know, six months or something. And it's like try and like you know have a life on a six months. I wonder if I'll be able to keep my job after this thing is done. Yeah. You you only have a mortgage six months of the year, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just talk, talk to the bank. The bank's like, oh yeah, cool. You're in the game industry. All right, cool. I'll just call you next year. Yeah, QA as well. I mean, QA was always. I mean, not, and not only. Were, were we disposable, but they would play people off of each other. It'd be like, yeah. hey, if you don't want to stay, then I can find somebody else because mm -hmm. it makes me fun, right? It's a fun job. I can get anybody, you know? So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it, there's, we definitely need to like uh, do like a yeah. I, I think, I think we, uh, you know, that, that is, that is becoming less of a bargaining tool now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and it's just because now, when your budgets are, you know, like a hundred plus million, you know, it's like I can replace you tomorrow. Okay, hot shot. Let's see you do, do it. it. Go do it. Do it. Do it. I dare you. I dare you. I dare you. If anything even remotely positive came out of like this pandemic thing, it is the it is the realization that remote work is like actually a thing that we can do and mm -hmm. we can yep. successful oh, yeah, projects. Yeah. And that I think opens up a lot of uh, space for people I, I, who really couldn't get in this industry and or couldn't move couldn't afford to move to one of the expensive coasts mm. to be able to to work in games um, uh, there, there's there's industries entire industries now that like you know where they think people need to be in the offices because they're so old and you send people in offices so you got ceos and stuff saying we can't wait to get all y'all back in office next month and you have you have ctos come with follow-up emails wait hold up 
We're not going to get any of y'all back in the office. Y'all stay at home. I'll talk to the CEO. I'll talk to the CEO. And they'll go see like We'll lose all our tech people because they're more productive at home, number one. Productivity's gone up 30% across all tech industries. And number two is so-and-so moved back to Nebraska around his mother. And there's no way I'm going to get him to come back onto the West Coast. And to that point, I had the number of recruiters that called me mm-hmm. that said, hey, I know you said you couldn't move before, but <laughs> hey, right? Uh, that, is, that is a large number of recruiters in the past year, at least every three weeks. There's right? a power shift from companies into yeah. employees Tech companies. right now. And I'm- yeah. That's exactly what's going on in my, my neighborhood. I have, I have neighbors right now that moved from San Francisco down to where I'm at because it's just way cheaper to live in this area. And they actually bought up a lot of homes and they actually raised the prices of the other homes around. Yeah. Too. So my congratulations, home, Ryan. Yeah, congratulations. It's called gentrification, Ryan. That's what we call it. In one month, like, really? You're one of the great. few black people who actually got uh, to come up on gentrification. <laughs> yeah, I can work from home. I'm moving. I'm here. All right, folks. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. And I know we got to spend, we got to come back to this one because I mean, there's so much to dive into. As, as Shanae was just mentioning, there's like, there's so many, like, there's so much depth to this particular like story. Um, we got to come back to this here. But <laughs> Uh, I will say, fabulous conversation. Uh, thanks, everybody. Lo- lo- love the contributions like that. I do want to just go ahead and close this out. Um, we are hit. We've we've hit two p.m. So let me just go ahead and give a shout out to Digital Click for all the creative that they do for each and every show. And if you want to learn more about our about us about Tech Nubians, then make sure you hit up our website, TechNubians.com. That's T-E-C-H-N-0-0-B-I-A-N-S.com. Please follow us here on Twitch. And if you like our vibe, and we know you do, and you want to learn more about game development and everything else geek, please consider subscribing to the channel and follow us on all our socials where Geekish Network is on all major platforms. Um, check out the schedule for all the shows on the Geekish Network here on our, on our Twitch page. Tonight we have Pod Squadron. Tomorrow we have Nerdcastic. So anyways, thank you all for watching, and we will see you all next week. Bye, everyone. Peace. Peace.